Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Open Mic Friday. And being an Open Mic Friday, that gives us the opportunity to take phone calls from you at your home or in your car, and we'll attempt to answer any theological question you provide us. The numbers to phone in St. Louis, simply 821-0850. And long distance, toll free, 1-800-730-2727. And you can call us about what we were talking about during this week or any other question you might have on your mind. Every now and then you're reading the Bible and you run across a passage and you say, I wonder what this means. And you can't get a hold of your pastor or he's kind of busy. And so you have this opportunity to phone me. 1-800-730-2727. I do want to mention about various items that we were talking about, uh, particularly yesterday, we had this Luther Seminary, that's ELCA professor Mark Colden, who was talking about the, the recent items here that were very interesting from the convention of the ELCA. And one of the sentences he makes is, even the Bible often was noticeable by its absence. And I found that very interesting because many of the resolutions really were not connected to the Bible in any way. So we're ready to go to the phone lines and we're going to talk to, is this Curry? This is Kurt. Kurt, I'm sorry. That's okay, C-U-R-T. How can I help you? Um, I'm one of your fellow Lutherans, and, I, and so uh, I went through a Lutheran grade school and listened to you every day. And I still have, I think, two questions about the Lord's Prayer that um, I would like to get cleared up. Okay, it, it, it states, or Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thine will be done. Now that sounds like to me that that's Judgment Day he's talking about. Am I wrong? Yes. Okay, thanks for calling. Oh, you want me to expand on that? There's, there's, there's just one, yes. I would like for you to elaborate sure. on it. And, and further down, uh, I'm sure you get this all the time, and he says, and lead us not into temptation. Yes. Now, that's he's the author. Why would he be telling us not to, for him to not be leading us into temptation? All right. Well, those are the two main ones. Okay, the first one there was, uh, thy will be done on earth. Um, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Those two parts. Yes. And the second was, lead us not into temptation. Yes. Okay. Let me begin by saying that the Lord's Prayer, you are not praying for anything there that you already don't have. Our Father who art in heaven, he's already in heaven. Yeah. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's kingdom is coming through the church. And that's why Jesus preached the gospel and his will is always done. Uh, The best example of that is the book of Job, where it didn't appear that the will of God was being done as he allowed Satan to tempt Job. But it 
absolutely worked out for Job having a stronger faith. Every one of these petitions, we call them, really is something that we already know is true. And the reason we're praying it, it's kind of like when you have a meal with your kids. You say, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let these gifts to us be blessed. And one of the children said, wait a minute, Dad. We, we said that yesterday. Why do we have to say it again? God already has heard it. Well, because our prayers are actually a confession of faith for the source of where we receive all these blessings. So I just, your, your, your question is perfect, Kurt, because I just read an article about lead us not into temptation. And in the Western church, there's seven petitions. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil are two separate petitions. But in the Eastern church, there's only six petitions, and they combined lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, according to the book of James, God leads nobody into temptation. We're tempted instead by the world, our flesh, and the devil, never by God. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're already praying something that he has promised, and he's also promised to deliver us from evil. So they combine those two. I kind of like that, actually, because a lot of people are saying, why are we asking God not to lead us into temptation if he's already promised that he won't? Well, it's a reminder to us. It's actually an act of worship every one of the petitions, because we are praying for that which we have already received, but we're pointing to the source of that blessing, and, and therefore that's an act of worship. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a little more sense. Well, I appreciate When I, when I pray, I, I used to just spit it out, you know. Yes. Probably a lot of people do, but whatever I pray, I think out of my mind, each separate petition, you know, and I try to, um, like, follow through on that. I, I pray it because it, I just I want it to have meaning. So yes. that's why I want to understand what each petition means. Have you looked at the explanations in Luther's small catechism? Yes, I have. Yeah, because they do a very good job of explaining. And then have you ever read his large catechism? Uh, no, I haven't. Yes, I would encourage you to get a copy of that. It, it's a separate book uh, put out by Concordia Publishing House. Or if you have the Book of Concord, uh, it's in there also. And he really kind of enlivens each of these petitions in a way that is not obvious when you first read them in the Bible. And I think that would be very helpful. It sure was helpful for me. It should be helpful for you. Okay, I'll uh, I'll take a look at that then. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for calling. And anybody else can call. The numbers are in St. Louis, 821-0850. Toll free, 1-800-730-2727. Yes, a lot of times, particularly in the liturgy, when I first came to my first parish where I was the primary pastor, I did a number of adult instruction classes, but I didn't do that much with the liturgy. And then I had an event take place that showed me how important it was 
for the new members of the church to understand what is going on in the liturgy. And so I incorporated many parts of the liturgy in the adult instruction class. And it really makes a difference. I'll just give you one example. When we have the Lord's Supper, we conclude it with singing Simeon's hymn, which talks about, Now let us thou thy servant depart in peace, because he has had the Lord. He, he actually held the Lord, the baby Jesus, in the temple. And somebody, I mentioned that in a sermon, that that's why we sing that, because we have had the very body and blood of Jesus in our mouth, and that we have received it, and that's a gift from God as an assurance of the forgiveness of our sins in heaven as our home. And the woman who heard that was kind of broken up over it. I mean, she was very happy, had tears of joy, but she had never realized that's why we had sung that after the Lord's Supper. And there are many gems in the liturgy of the hymnal that is really important. When you become a member of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have certain official books. And the Book of Concord, of course, is our confession. The Bible is really important. But then we also have other things that we tell people about, including the hymnal. And a lot of times I've been noticing where congregations are no longer following the hymnal they're ending up into areas that really have hymns that don't pro pronounce Jesus as Savior as well as they should. They're really all about us and this sort of thing. And so it's really important that hopefully you're in a congregation where they are following the hymnal. This is what the third or fourth hymnal I've used in my ministry and they have tremendous gems and wonderful jewels, but they need to be explained uh, to the people. And when they're explained to the people, then the liturgy has quite a different understanding to it than we would have apart from a proper understanding of the liturgy. Okay, we're going to go back to the phone lines again. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and who's this I'm talking to? Well, this is David again. Oh, yes. Go hey, ahead, David. Uh, good to hear from you. Good to hear. Okay, thank you so much. Um, my question pertains to um, Lutheran churches having conventions and voting on resolutions. Now, and here's my question pertaining to that. If the Bible is sufficient... It's the Word of God. Why do different subjects need to be voted on? Because if you're saying we need to have resolutions to vote on these things, then you're saying the Bible is not sufficient. But if the Bible is sufficient and it speaks to certain topics, why do you have to vote on those resolutions? To either yay or nay, if it's already spoken in the Word of God. Yes. Um. Most cooks have a cookbook, and in the cookbook, it tells you how to do things, etc. Now, if my wife is cooking something following the recipes in the cookbook, am I to look at her and say, now, wait a minute, you already know I uh, believe in the cookbook. 
why do you have to make it clear to me the kinds of things that you are making? We already have the cookbook. I don't need to hear from you how you put together the meal. But a lot of times I want to know how she put together the meal to see why it tastes so good. In the Bible, there's no doubt that the Bible is the source of all truth. But that really means nothing if your interpretation of a text is contrary to what the Bible says. For example, the whole Reformation was about the idea that the Roman Catholics taught that we're saved by God's grace, which is a substance we receive, and then we work with his grace to become more perfect, and we are therefore saved, and we don't have to go as long to purgatory and this kind of thing. Well, the Reformation came about and said, no, the Bible doesn't say that at all. And then individual Christians needed to make a decision who is correct. Are we saved salvation by grace, or are we saved salvation through faith? And if you believed in the grace, you remain Roman Catholic, and you were comfortable then in hearing what they had to say, even though from my point of view they were wrong. And if you understood the interpretation of the Reformers, then you became Lutheran, and you were comfortable in going to worship because you were hearing a message that agreed with the Bible. So just because the Bible is the source, every false teacher uses the Bible. Even the devil did to even Adam. You know, you want to become like God? That's why God doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if Adam had been doing his task, he would have said to Eve, no, 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 we can't listen to him because we cannot become like God. He's using trick language, and therefore we cannot listen to him. The devil tried the same thing with Jesus. He left out parts of the verses. So the reason we have conventions, and I'll just give you one example in the Lutheran church, we're in a world that believes that God if there was a God, ended up making the world in billions of years. That's not what Genesis says. And so we took a stand at our last convention for six-day, 24-hour creation. We call it natural days. And therefore, we don't believe we came from monkeys. We don't believe there was death until the sin of Adam and Eve. And there were all kinds of things that we now teach in contrast to what other religions teach. So everybody tries to use the Bible, but then it's up to the individual Christian to decide who has the proper biblical interpretation to decide what worship and church he or she goes to. Okay. Just to follow up, uh, what if the resolution, say, on the creation was voted on the wrong way? Yes. Say if they say if they believed in evolutionary process, how would that be handled? It, it would be handled the way it was handled in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. In uh, January of 2018, uh, the seminary in St. Louis brought out a article where it appeared that they were teaching evolution. 
and mm-hmm. it was with a professor. Well, what happened, there were protests made. They were in articles. The president of the Senate wrote against it. And so now it became, I was told, that more memorials, that's a resolution sent by a congregation to the Senate convention, more memorials were about that issue than any other issue. And therefore, it was corrected at the convention. Now, if, for example, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod voted to allow women to be ordained, which I think is contrary to the Bible, I would not leave the Synod immediately. I would attempt maybe through one or two conventions to get it changed. But if at that point it was not changed, then I would not want my children to be brought up in such a church, and we would therefore go to a congregation uh, that teaches confessional Lutheranism and what is proper about ordination and this sort of thing. So there is a process by which we can go through. I myself have brought charges against certain pastors that I believe were wrong in what they were saying and doing. And we have a process in the Synod where there's kind of a court case you go through on the basis of the Bible. And I'm very satisfied with that. I think it works well. And that's the way we protect the proper understanding of Scripture. Okay. Well, I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for calling, Mike. Uh, right. David. Sorry. Bye-bye. Bye. All righty. Okay. We've got a new system here, and I cannot read the names. So I have to stand up and look real close at the screen they they tell me they're going to be maybe fixing that, but let's see if this is correct. Ray, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I have a question for you that kind of follows up about the Lord's Prayer you were asked, you yes. were asked about. In Matthew 4, 1, and I, you have to agree with me that the Spirit is God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay. So, so it says, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right. So if God doesn't tempt us, but he might lead us into temptation. And that's why I would think that that would be the possibility that Jesus would say that prayer. Because he was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. But he wasn't tempted by the Spirit. Correct. Correct. I agree with that. No, no. Well, the way I would say it is that the God does permit temptation to come to us. He does not Agreed. inaugurate it. Agree. In, in fact, I, agree. I was just taking a look at uh, the lessons for this coming Sunday, and one of them is really strong that God permits discipline from a parent to a child in order to bring the child into a proper uh, morality, and God also does that. He only disciplines those whom he loves, and so sometimes he'll allow a temptation to come to us, and if we fall into it, then we really learn a lesson, and that's how we become more of a disciple of Jesus, by being disciplined by God, but the temptation also always comes from our flesh, the world, or the devil. I agree, but but the part being led into the desert 
to be tempted. So he wasn't led to temptation is kind of what you're saying, but he was led into the desert where he was going to be tempted. Uh, yes, remember, and that's the book of Matthew. Much of Jesus' right. life is in connection with Israel through the wilderness in their day, through the Red Sea, being baptized by water, all this kind of uh, individual items. And so it doesn't surprise me at all. They were 40 years in the desert. He was 40 days uh, to be tempted by the devil. And in contrast to Israel that failed, that's why they had another 38 years wandering in the wilderness. In Jesus' case, there was no failure. Okay, so I, it's a discernment issue on, on the wording. I understand. I always, as a layperson, have difficulty because I don't know Greek and Hebrew, and I have to rely that you have all these theologians from multiple denominations and coming up with a different interpretation, which to me alerts me that it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, but when you were talking about disciplining your child, one of the most potent verses as a father of seven myself is discipline your child, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death, which I think is a massively, amazingly, strongly worded warning to parents about how important it is that your children are disciplined. You really hit that on the head. I totally agree with you. It's a very scary verse to me. And I, I said, I always say what happens if you don't discipline your child is you end up with an undisciplined adult, which is what I face every day is a bunch of undisciplined adults. That's why so, the Bible says, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Right. It's really right. a comforting I, verse. Was, that was my failure early in my life before God, you know, grabbed me by the neck and, and dealt with me and, 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 and taught me and saved me. Because um, I think a lot of people, I find, that come to the Lord later in life but through very dramatic events that occur. Yes. Just seem to be so much stronger evangelists, oh. in my opinion. I've often said that, that a lot of times the new members who come through adult instruction seem to have a very strong faith uh, in contrast to some of the members who've been in there for 30, 40 years. Right, because I'm, I'm disappointed by how few people come to Bible study to hear God's Word, and yet people that have been born into um, a Lutheran family and then have never read the Bible, and I'm just wondering... You know, where are we failing? It seems like we're 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 falling down on the job here. So as a as a father who knew that my job is to um, my job is to be my my wife's pastor and my children's leader of the flock and, and to read the Bible to my family. I don't know when people when people meet people and they talk about what they love, they talk about their kids and their and their wives and husbands. And so I say, if you love God, how can you not talk about God? Yes. It's not possible. I mean, I, I, when I have a new neighbor within a couple of minutes, I already know if they know God. I just can't see how people um, don't want to know what God has to say about um, about the things in life. How do you make decisions about what's right and what's wrong if you don't know what God said about it? So exactly. Anyway, I appreciate I appreciate you answering that question for me. Okay. God bless. Thank you very much for Thank calling. Bye bye. Goodbye. And we'll see if we can squeeze Herman in. Herman. Uh, yes. One uh, minute. Uh, one, uh, the uh, ELCA had a high-level uh, person in their uh, structure who recently made a statement that hell is real, but there's no one in it. Is this, this is not biblically cogent or accurate, is it? 
What do you do with Jesus' statement about Judas? It would have been better had he never been born. Now, the statement is actually accurate because hell hasn't been finished completion until the day of judgment. There is a a Gehenna or a Sheol, but the place of hell is reserved for the devil and unbelievers, and they will be filling that up after the day of judgment. So there are people going to be in hell, and to a degree, they're also in the place of the unbelievers, which is referred to sometimes as Sheol or Gehenna. And that would be an error to say, therefore, that nobody's going to be in hell. Would, would that be the situation that Jesus' uh, parable of Lazarus and Dives' division between he- uh, heaven and that place that the rich man was, as well as when Peter said that Jesus' descent into hell to the spirits there to make witness? Uh, or, uh, that yeah, that's the verse I would rather use out of Peter about Jesus descending into hell. Obviously, uh, that's the Sheol or the Gehenna. It's not the full hell that's going to occur on Judgment Day. I tend not to bring doctrine out of parables because, remember, um, the rich man could see Lazarus, and it's clear from the Bible there's no real communication uh, between heaven and hell after we die. Well, I appreciate the call, and it's time to say goodbye. I'm Tom Baker. On Monday's Long Gospel, Jesus says something that's kind of confusing. So be in attendance, and we'll be talking about that in preparation for the readings the following Sunday. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.